First, a moment of personal privilege. My name is Luis Leon. I'm a retired priest in the Diocese of Washington, and I am a member here at St. Albans Church. Some of you know me because I come to the nine o'clock service. We've already claimed our pew. My wife is sitting in our pew over there. <laughs> and my uh, priest colleague, Jack, is messing around with my mind because he normally sits in front of me. But you're on the other side today, Jack, so you're messing up, you're messing up the whole thing this morning. <laughs> I'm also, uh, you know, it's not listed in your bulletin, but I think it was mentioned, uh, you're a substitute, there are two pinch hitters today. I'm a pinch hitter, uh, substitute preacher, and Brandon Straub is the uh, pinch hitter as the organist and director of the choir today. And Brandon and I had the uh, joy and delight of working together at St. John's Church downtown uh, for a number of years, and it's great to connect with you. He's now the director of everything music at St. Albans School. Is that right, Brandon? and a great talent, so I hope you'll welcome him to, uh, uh, to, to St. Albans Church. Um, but let's get on with the sermon, shall we, uh, before it goes on too long. Uh, I love Lent. I've always loved Lent. Uh, Lent is a, just, a, I think, a great season, and a couple of reasons. You know, if the church is founded on a second chance, if the church is founded on Peter, it is founded on a second chance, which I like, because we all deserve and want a second chance. The other thing about Lent is that I think, you know, we look at it as being a very somber season. I kind of look at it differently from that. I think Lent is a season that it's a reminder that God hasn't given up on us. God hasn't given up on us. And the invitation at Lent as we do our self-examination and everything else that uh, we're invited to do in Lent is for us not to give up on ourselves. Not to give up on ourselves because God has not given up on us. And today we have two readings that offer us two biblical characters who stand in contrast to in, and in doing so offer us option for how we're going to choose to live our lives from now on. In today's gospel we have Nicodemus and in the book of Genesis we have Abraham who hasn't become Abraham. He doesn't become Abraham until chapter 17 of the book of Genesis but he's Abraham right now. But we have in the gospel Nicodemus. And Nicodemus appears three times in the Gospel of John. He doesn't appear in the synoptic, the, th the three other Gospels. The synoptic Gospels only appears three times in John's Gospel. Today in chapter 3, in chapter 7, when he stands before the, the Sanhedrin and speaking to his colleagues, that the law requires that a person be heard before that person is judged. So he's trying to defend Jesus. And finally, in the 19th chapter of John's Gospel, he's the one who provides the ointment and stuff for the embalming of Jesus. So he appears three times. And so he comes to Jesus in our story today, and he begins with, Rabbi, you know that you are a man from God. Now there are many, many, many miracles that uh, Nicodemus must have heard about. You know, Jesus uh, made the blind see, he made the deaf hear, he made the, the lame to walk, he healed the sick, he healed the cynical, he even brought Lazarus back to life. But he never made an old person young again. <laughs> never in the long history of our race, despite all sorts of people chasing the fountain of youth, my ancestor Ponce de Leon did that, <laughs> has anyone been able to relive any part of their life? It's excruciatingly painful at times, but it is all true. Remember that part of the poem that goes, the moving finger writes, and having writ, moves on. And so it is. But if you can't be young again, the biblical narratives offer us another option, and it is that you can be born again. And that's what the story is about today. The opportunity to be born again. Now, 
For us Episcopalians, the moment we hear the, the expression born again, the first thing that comes to my mind is all the people who have all the answers because they don't allow for any other questions. And it always drives me crazy to have people who have all the answers and don't allow any, absolutely any question. They're the ones, uh, I think the um, born-again language got started somewhere in the 70s and 80s in the Episcopal Church and maybe in the broader church also. And they're the ones who give rise to the moral majority, uh, who all had all the answers, never allowed any questions, and today has been translated into the Christian nationalism with which we have to live and deal with and have to contend with, who have all the answers but don't allow any particular questions. I don't know if you remember, some of you are old enough to remember the ads that the Episcopal Church came up with in the 70s and 80s. You remember that? And it says, the Episcopal Church welcomes you regardless of race, creed, color, or the number of times you were born. <laughs> I think what's amazing about Nicodemus is that he comes to Jesus at all. We know that all the common folk came to Jesus because they wanted a change, but Nicodemus it's not one of them. Remember, he's a Pharisee. He's a ruler. He's a member of the highest government body of the Jewish people, the Sanhedrin. He must have been pretty happy about life, don't you think? He must have been. He's like us. He's like us. You know, he's in control. He's got power. He's in the middle of it. He's downtown in one of those black cars driving around as an officer of the government. Some people would think that he's trying to entrap Jesus when he begins his question one, but I like to think of Nicodemus as being a sensitive seeker. He's a furtive one because he comes at night, but I think he's a sensitive seeker. Something, I think, is missing in his life. And he comes to Jesus with the questions about that. When Jesus responds to him, the response that Nicodemus gives back to him, it's a, a response that doesn't quite fit it almost sounds like he's stalling, trying to understand, but I think he understands perfectly well what Jesus is talking about. I think what Nicodemus wanted in the response to his question was a few alterations in life. I think he wanted some tinkering around the edges without anything profound done in the middle. And so he's standing there, well, I said, that's not really what I was asking for. I wanted something else besides some kind of radical transformation. Jesus says, unless one is born new, one cannot see the kingdom of God. St. Augustine has a word for the Nicodemus. You run well, but off the track. I think Nicodemus is like all of us. Wanting someone things to change, but only if they change only on the edge. The operative word in the Episcopal Church is we want things to change as long as they remain the same. It's true not only of our church, it's true of ourselves. We want things to change as long as they remain the same. I think too much of the time we prefer the security of known misery to the misery of unfamiliar insecurity. And the invitation by Jesus is to move into that ground which is the unfamiliar insecurity. I think we all want to be effective neurotics. We want things to change as long as they remain the same. One of the things that I've learned in my life is this, is that God is constantly inviting us with opportunities for conversion. I think that God constantly, constantly offers us an invitation and an opportunity for conversion. 
over and over and over again until the very end of our lives. Now, you don't have to accept that opportunity. You can say, I'm not willing to try that. I'm not willing to give it a go. But the opportunity is there. And what I love about God is God is a very strange strategizer because God keeps coming back to you after you've rejected God. What kind of a love affair is that? But God seems to be coming back over and over and over. And he said, I'm going to give you an opportunity for conversion so you can be twice the person that you were before, if you choose to accept it. I think what uh, Jesus is offering our friend Nicodemus is that to be born again is to be born more vulnerable and to be born twice as strong and twice as tender as only the tender can truly be strong. Nicodemus, I don't think, ever accepted that radical transformation, although he remains a sensitive seeker, because as I mentioned before, in chapter 19, he comes back with the ointment to embalm Jesus. In contrast to Nicodemus, the biblical narratives offer us another guy, and his name is Abram. And he finds himself in Haran, which is a town that doesn't exist anymore. The archaeologists have dug around enough in that part of the world to say that it's now in Turkey, but who cares? He's over in Haran, somewhere in Turkey. And can you imagine he's happy to be in Haran? He's got his wife, he's got his nephew lots living with him and everything else. And can you imagine what the people must have said to Abraham? To Abram? He was about 75 years old. And you know his face, like most of our faces when we get to that age, his face must have been full of the credentials of humanity, as George Bernard Shaw once called wrinkles. And you can imagine what must have said to him, his companions and his friends must have said to him, what are, how are you, what are you doing? Have you talked to Sarah about this? And what does your nephew Lot have to say about it? He's doing so well in school. Now, the response is not recorded in the Bible in the book of Genesis, but I know that it happened. I think the response from Abraham to Abraham to God is this. No one is indispensable except to God. No one is indispensable except to God, which means that you don't have to be stuck wherever you are. You're not indispensable in that particular place. I mentioned to you earlier that God offers us and invites us on this journey of faith with opportunities for conversion, always, always inviting us from something less than a full life to the possibility of something greater than a full life. I hope it's important for you, and I think it's important for all of us to ask ourselves in this time for self-examination, Lent, because I don't think we need to get stuck in our lives. I don't think we need to get stuck in what I called unproductive nostalgia to think about the good old days as we grow older, which seemed to us better because we were better in those days, so we think. But we always have to remember that good old days were good for some, but they were not good for everybody. And unproductive nostalgia doesn't work very well for any of us. Our daughters attended Murray School down the street from here. And, uh, you know, if you've ever been to one of these schools, you know that they have a dinner at night or some, sometime in the springtime to raise money for, they say, for scholarships. I think it's to pay the rent. And they are always there, and they bring all sorts of things to, uh, uh, to, to it's kind of like an auction. Have you been to those things? If you're with me, how about nodding? Yeah, okay, you're with me today, good. 
Uh, so you're there sitting there, and they give you a card that you can raise up, you know, to bid on stuff like that. And the one episode I remember was one time they were um, episode, giving some episodes for the Rolling Stones, uh, who had a concert coming up over at the basketball center that we have downtown. Well, you thought we had all died and gone to heaven. Every one of us boomers thought, this is my opportunity to get finally to see the Rolling Stones. So they start bidding up, and the little card goes up, oh, $1,000, $2,000, $3,000, $6,000. I'm raising my card. I'm a priest on a priest's salary, and I'm going $3,000, and I'm thinking, I... I hope they don't call out my number while I'm raising my card, but I want to get that card going up there because I want to go see. Maybe somebody will donate it to me or something like that. I thought all of us who were a bunch of baby boomers at the time were going to break out into a song. I can get no good satisfaction. I thought for sure we were all going to break into that, and then I reminded myself, Mick Jagger's a grandfather. And the guy who was the drummer, whose name I can never remember, was already half dead. Uh, you know, there were not symbols of rebellion anymore. But in that sort of nostalgic sense, they had become that for that, for us. The story of any one of us is, to some measure or another, the story of us all, which makes Abram's story our story, be we old or young. It tells us that if we think we have no choice, we've made the wrong choice. If we think we are too old or too young to choose, we're wrong again. There's a wonderful Yiddish story about a man who all sorts of misfortunes fall upon the man. So the man pleads to God and he says, Dear Lord, I have conscientiously fulfilled every one of the 615 laws of the Pentateuch. Why do all these things fall on me? There was a silence for a few minutes. Finally, the voice from heaven replies, because you're a bore. <laughs> God doesn't want us to be boring. God wants us to take chances. God wants us to accept the opportunities for conversion. Remember this. The art of life is to die young as late as possible. And you can't die young as late as possible if you don't move on with the invitation from God. Peter Gomes was the minister of the Memorial Church at Harvard, and one time he told me that he always told the graduating students, the ones who were about to graduate, watch it. Lest 50 years from now, you look back in the springtime of your lives and say, ah, those were the days and be right. The art of life is to die young as late as possible. You can't be young again, but you can be born again. Born of the water, symbol of forgiveness, and of the spirit, symbol of power. You don't have to move out, but you have to move on, as did Abraham from the ranks of Jesus' admirers, to becoming a follower of Jesus, from the security of known misery to the joy of vulnerability. There's always a choice for each and every one of us, Nicodemus or Abram. So let us obey that call that keeps us moving forward. We know not the final destination, 
And let us be faithful to the Creator by being creative. I used to think the poet guilty of shallow optimism, but now that I read the story of Abraham and I get to the age of 73, I realize Robert Browning was profoundly right when he wrote, Grow old with me, the best is yet to be, the last of life for which the first was made. Trust God, see all, never be afraid. Amen.